Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, we read for our text, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. This text is part of that which is on the entrance to the chapel here. The two verses, verses 4 and 5. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. And it is our text that gives a reason, three reasons in fact, why we should come into the house of the Lord. I wonder as we do gather what is the reason why we have gathered. Very often we do not really think and pause and consider why are we gathering today? What is the reason that we are gathering? Maybe in our own thoughts and minds there was no particular reason. We have come regularly to the house of God, maybe tradition, maybe just as a door upon its hinges, and there's no particular reason at all. It may be like Zacchaeus, that it is curiosity that we've just come into the house of God. Or maybe we're seeking, we're wanting something for ourselves, seeking for mercy, seeking to know the Lord, seeking for something for our own soul, seeking for guidance and direction from the Lord. And maybe it is, if the Lord has quickened us into life, that we're actually looking for food, for our souls. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Or maybe it is like Hannah, who had prayed for a child, who came later and was able to say, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me the petition that I asked of him. And then after she came to the house of God, and she praised the Lord, she gave thanks, hardly mentioning Samuel at all, but just praising God and worshipping him and giving thanks to him. And this is the reason that is given here in this psalm. It is, as the title of the psalm states, a psalm of praise. And it's a blessed thing if we can think that here below the Lord has his courts, he has his people, he has his promised presence. And though we cannot see him, yet we know by his promise he is where two or three are gathered together in his name. We know that in heaven that we shall know even as we are known and we shall see him as he is. It shall be assembly of the Lord's people, those that were redeemed from on earth, and their employment there 
is praise unto God and worship and thanksgiving. They do not need to seek for the mercies and things that we seek for here, the guidance and helps. They are past that. They don't need to seek for deliverance from Satan. They have attained that deliverance already. They do not need to seek those things that belong to time. They are beyond time. And yet they gather for worship. And they have a substance of worship and glory that is eternal. And so we should think when we gather below, there is not all what is for us, what is for me, what is for uh, my soul. Yes, we know the Canaanitish woman came and worshipped the Lord, saying, Lord, help me. And it is true that we are here on praying ground. We are on an enemy's land. We are in the body and we have need of the blessings and uh, gifts and graces and life of the Lord here below in a way that they do not need it above. But there should be that aspect of our worship and praise here that mirrors that and is a foretaste of what the saints enjoy above. And so it centres in our Lord Jesus Christ. So then how, how have we entered? Is it, as it were, with two persons that we could imagine that the psalmist here is entering into the courts of the Lord with? In verse 4, he is entering with thanksgiving. And he's entering with praise. And he's like coming into the house of God with these two characters, thanksgiving and praise. And what is he going to do? What are they going to do together? Well, he tells us here that together they're going to be thankful unto him and bless his name. How many times we may come into the house of God and we're not in company with thanksgiving and we're not in company with praise. We may be in company with the world and worldly thoughts and affections. We may be in company with a, a bitter spirit. We may be in company with those that will draw away our attention and be detrimental to a true worship of God. Seldom do we come into the house of God with no company. But it's a blessed thing to, as it were, be divested of all that will not be fitting of worship. We know in heaven that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. And all that are there, there are none there that will not speak of his glory. We read in the Psalms, in his temple, everyone shall speak of his glory. And this people have I formed for myself, and they shall show forth my praise, here below and above. And so it may be we... You may think, well, we do not have much to praise the Lord for or overlooking uh, 
those things that he is and what he has done for us. And may we be reminded this morning as to why we enter in and how we are to enter in to the house of God. Well, our text gives three reasons. Three uh, reasons to enter into the Lord's house with thanksgiving and praise. And we'll look at these as three points. The first one is the Lord. For the Lord. And then we are told concerning the Lord is good. The second thing, the second reason is his mercy. And particularly with his mercy, it is that it is everlasting. The third point is his truth. And the special aspect regarding his truth is that it endureth to all generations. So firstly, the reason is the Lord. The Lord himself, Jehovah, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There is God, there is you and God. Set forth before us in the word of God, Father, Son obeyed, the Holy Spirit bears witness the Holy Spirit, the author of the Word of God, the author of the virgin birth, the author of the calling by grace, the new birth. One God, three distinct persons, but one divine deity, eternal in every aspect. But what if it was that there was no God? There are some that spend their lives trying to prove that there is no God, as if everything happened by complete chance, complete random. All we are is a gathering of cells together. There is no standard, no one that we're accounted to, accountable to at all. We just are upon this earth and there is no God at all. Man is a spiritual being and right through the scriptures and right in the earth we find how that man will go after any God rather than no God. And even those that say that there is no God, really they have that which they worship of themselves and their own thoughts and their own pride. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And so when we come into the house of God, that we might know first that there is a God. It is because of the Lord, because that he is a God that is to be worshipped. The first aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and that should be a reason in itself as coming into the house of God 
as we view the building, as we view the assembly of his people, to have this ring in our minds and in our hearts. There is a God. These are his earthly courts. These are his people. He does exist. He is living. He is the true. He is the living God. But what is set before us here is that he is good. For the Lord is good. Not was good and not will be good. He is good now. He is intrinsically so. That is his character. That is his nature. That he is good. Many would say, well, if God is good, how come there is all the evil that is in the world? How come it is that man is what he is? When we go back to creation, we see how that God created all things and he looked upon them and he pronounced that it all was good. But man was not made as a robot but as one that had a free will and could freely show praise, freely obey or disobey and freely worship. And through the fall he chose to obey, disobey, chose to rebel against God. And through disobedience sin entered into the world and death by sin. And the Lord being a good God A God who had said in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, brought that sentence upon man. What would we think of our own leaders and lawmakers if they said, now here is a law. If this law is broken, then... This is this prescribed sentence. You should spend so long, as it were, in, in prison, or whatever that sentence was. And then when someone broke the law, if the judge then said, or the ones that made that law, then said, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll just... We'll just pass over that. Well, forget it happened. Would you call that a good lawmaker, a good law enforcer or good person that actually made laws but didn't enforce them and they've just passed over them? If you had a parent that said to children, you must not do that, don't do that, and then they did it, but the parent didn't back it up didn't punish them, didn't correct them at all. If you saw them out in the supermarket, if you saw them outside, you'd say, that's not a good parent. But if you saw a parent chastening and correcting their children, then you say, that is a good parent, especially if they're doing it with love. And so when we have the statement here that the Lord is good, remember that we are fallen, fallen people, Perhaps another illustration, if we were to go to the prison where the person had been locked up, and then we had the jailers in that prison, 
One jailer made the people's life really, really hard. Hard taskmaster. No kindness, no love, no sympathy at all. Those that were under that sentence, they'd say that that was not a good jailer. But if you had a jailer that enforced the law but was, was kind, he was sympathetic, where he was able, he showed mercies and kindness and helps, you'd say that that was a, a good jailer. You wouldn't say, well, because I'm in prison, then that's not a good jailer. However much kindness and goodness he shows to me, he hasn't let me go. He hasn't set me free, so he cannot be good. And so we have a picture of a good God that cannot look upon sin without utter abhorrence. But at the same time, he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust, and that he is good and that he has made provision for us, not just eternity, but even in time, even for those who do not serve him or love him. This is why we read... Psalm 145, because we read that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. That is so, even though we are fallen, even though we rebel against him, even though we are under the sentence of death, the Lord is good. He is the saviour of all men, especially of them that believe. Without the Lord, we would have nothing but a deserved hell and the wrath of God. He is a good God. And really, part of the secret is remembering what we deserve, what we are, knowing what we do daily, what we think, what our, where our affections are, what we are in the sight of a holy, holy God. But the Lord is not only good in a natural way, but shows a way of escape and shows a blessing for eternity for his people. Good in the provision of his beloved Son. And we are to remember that. We have not got a tyrant. We have not got a hard taskmaster. We have not got an evil God. The Lord says I to his people, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. When his beloved Son comes into this world, the angels testify goodwill toward men on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. It is the goodness and provision of God. God not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we know that that applies to his people, but we do not know ourselves who the people of God are. And the message is to be sent forth through all the world as the good news of salvation. There is no other provision. There is none other that are good enough to address the needs of mankind. None other can 
deliver from hell all of those that rise up and say there's no God and we are just just a, a figment of just chance and what happened. They can't offer anything beyond the grave. They cannot save from the grave. They cannot give any comforts or any joys beyond this world. But with our God, he does. And he gives that in time and he gives that for eternity as well. Abraham, when they were going up the mount and Isaac asked him, my father, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. He didn't say, my son, there is no need for, there's no need for fire, for wood, for a lamb. He knew there was a need. And our Lord says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced at it. He saw what God himself would do in his beloved son in taking the place of a guilty people, enduring the wrath of God as the Lamb of God, having his blood shed and his people as is Isaac taken off the altar and given life. The Lord is good in the provision of the gospel in the provision of a way of escape from the wrath to come, in making it known, in setting it forth before us. So may that be one reason, the main reason, as we gather in the house of God, for the Lord is good. The second reason that is given us is because of his mercy. We are told that mercy is everlasting, the same as him. He does not change. He is immutable and his mercy is everlasting. And we need mercy. But what is mercy? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards persons whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. If we could picture perhaps a soldier or soldiers that have captured other soldiers and they threaten them, they say that they are deserving of death, they're going to kill them, and those that are then in their power, they can't escape out of their power. They're in the power of their captors and those that are over them. And they plead for mercy. And they're looking to the one that has power to either kill or to make alive. And they're asking that they might have life. There's no reason or cause in themselves at all. There is a story years ago of a soldier that was sentenced to death for some transgression in the army and the mother made intercession for him and asked that mercy might be shown to him. And the answer was he does not deserve mercy. And his mother said if he deserved it, it would not be mercy. Mercy is undeserved. And that is what is set before us here. When we come 
into the house of God, we are looking for that which we do not deserve. We deserve wrath, we deserve hell, we deserve the punishment of God. But we are looking for mercy. And we would remember, as we mentioned in prayer, the mercy seat, the blood-sprinkled mercy seat. It is mercy through blood. The hymn writer in hymn uh, 385, Mercy through blood, I make my plea. God be merciful to me. And we think of the Lord speaking of the two going up to pray. The one a publican, the one a Pharisee. The Pharisee praying with himself, I thank thee that I am not like other men, or like even this publican, and how that he fasts twice a week and give tithes of all that he has. But the publican standing afar off could not lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord said he went down to his house justified rather than the other, that is, free from guilt, free from condemnation, because he had pleaded for mercy. And mercy is what the Lord is to a people that do not deserve it. You might say, how is it shown? Well, the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. How is it shown? You read in the word of God of a people chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We have the love of God, I love thee with an everlasting love. That's mercy. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. That's mercy. The mercy in the provision of the promise of God, the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head, the mercy of time. How easy to overlook that. Why didn't God execute Adam and Eve straight away? Because there would be a seed to serve him. Because in the lengthening out of time, though much wickedness, yet there was God's people. And we know while the earth remains, it is because there are God's people there. There are people still to be saved. When we think perhaps of even organisations that... False religions, you say, why are they permitted to continue? That there are hidden amongst them, there will be the Lord's people. The Lord has his people everywhere, and those that are brought out from many, many different things. We have the Rahabs, we have the Ruths brought from Moab, we have Saul of Tarsus brought as a Pharisee, the Pharisees. We have Onesimus, a runaway slave. We have those in Caesar's household that Paul speaks of. And the mercy is that the Lord lengthens out time that these be found. Nineveh was given 40 days and we are given time that the Lord then will show mercy. While there is life, there is hope and there is blessing. While the gospel is proclaimed, 
So is a mercy in the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really through him, every blessing comes to us through his precious blood, through the debt being paid, through the justice of God being satisfied. Then it's not turned that God is not good. We spoke of a judge that would not be good if he just turned aside justice, said it didn't matter, and let a criminal go free. But if that judge paid the debt, if he went into prison instead, then justice would be served. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He, instead of us, a substitutionary offering, a mercy. We have just a little picture of that. When our Lord was crucified with two characters, Barabbas and the Lord. One of those, one of those the ruler could set free. And the people they chose to crucify our Lord and let a murderer go free. And it is that substitutionary offering, not saying by any way that Barabbas was saved because of that. But we have right through the scripture, like with Isaac and the ram, we have the substitutionary offering with the children of Israel going through the wilderness. The firstborn of the children of Israel were redeemed by the Levites. They had to count the Levites, count the firstborn, and they were redeemed one for one. A just weight and a just balance is the Lord. So when we have the mercy of the Lord, it is always that the debt is paid. It is always that it is just, it is holy, it is righteous, it is good. And that mercy set before us here is everlasting. If you and I have once tasted those mercy streams as flowing forth from Calvary, they will never cease to flow towards us. The Lord cannot show mercy one moment and then take it away. It is an everlasting mercy. It results in those that are being shown it uh, in, for their souls enduring for eternity. It's a solemn thing to be like Esau when he met Jacob and Jacob would give him presents. He says, I have enough, my brother. But he had only temple things. He had enough of those, but he didn't have grace. He didn't have hope in the Lord. It's a solemn thing to be satisfied, short of Christ. Our Lord saw this when he fed the multitudes, the 5,000. They followed him over the sea. He said to them, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. The miracles were supposed to show the people that he was truly Christ and to seek then for eternal blessings and for an interest in him. But they were more satisfied with temporal food for their bodies. And we see later in John 6 when he's speaking of the necessity of spiritual food. It was a strange thing to them. They say this isn't hard saying. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yes, they wanted manna from heaven. 
But their idea was it was just a natural way. It's the same really with at first, and I believe later he was truly called Nicodemus with a new birth. He always thought of it in a natural way. How can man be born again? How can he enter into his mother's womb and be born again? The idea of a spiritual birth was stranger to him, and it will be until we be partakers of it. And then when all things are new, all things pass away. Then when we are new creatures in Christ, then we understand what it is spoken of. Except ye be born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God. But that mercy of the Lord then that is shown is never ever taken away when it is of a spiritual nature for the soul. Temporal mercies, well, the food lasts just for this life and his care, his keeping, all the mercies that we have here below, they should make us to truly thank him, lead us to him, but lead us to seek the greatest of blessings for our soul and for eternal life. So that is the second reason in coming into the Lord's house. We may come in feeling so guilty. We may feel so unworthy of the least of his mercies and notice, but it is mercy. And we come in and we are to praise and give thanks to him for his mercy. And we think of Psalm 136, after each verse, for his mercy endureth forever. So often we pass mercies by, forgotten, and without thankfulness, without praises, they die. Well, the last reason is his truth. His truth. And what we are told regarding his truth is that it endureth to all generations. The word states, thy word is truth. When we think that the word of God, the Bible that we have it here, was written over a period of some 1,500 years. The New Testament, just over 50 years from beginning to end. The first books written, which is thought to be James, and last the Revelation, 90 AD. And the first books written, by the Job of Genesis, by Moses, and some 1,400 years before our Lord came. And of course we had 400 years before our Lord came where there's silence, no revelation, no inspired word from the Lord. But the word given, the Lord gave the word, and it is the inspired, infallible word of God. And that written word of God, it still endures. Many men's books, they come, they go, they're forgotten. But the word still endures and the Bible is still the most read book in the world, the most published, the most bought, most distributed book in the world. And no other book comes anywhere near it at all, not even near it. And it endures, it keeps going. What was said when our... Lord died and when the apostles were preaching and they tried to stop them, they tried to forbid them from speaking in the name of the Lord. And one said that if this were a man, 
then it will perish. But if it is God, then who are we to try and stop it? It won't be stopped. And it hasn't stopped. His truth, it still endures. It still keeps going through all the scenes of time. Through time there has been rising those who have spoken up, and we have them in our generation, speak against the word of God, ridicule it, despise it, try to discredit it, but it still endures. When they are laid in the grave, when they are before God's judgment throne, when they are cast into eternal blackness and darkness, the word of God still endures. The Lord said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away that endures the written word and we should be so thankful for that we can look through in the history of how many times that men have tried to extinguish it tried to burn it how many bibles have been burnt on these shores as they've come in but the lord's overruled it in each in each time and we should be really thankful for that as we gather in the house of God, that his truth, the word of God, endureth to all generations, to children's children, promises unto you and your children, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. When we go back to our grandparents and great-grandparents, they had the same, the same truths, and it is... A precious thing to think here we are reading the same words, blessed by the same passages, leaning on those same precious promises and knowing that same God who changes not. But we think then not only of the actual written word, his truth, and there is no truth apart from the word. We have to always remember that. Our Lord always resisted Satan's temptations with it is written. And that we, there is no truth, no revelation apart from the word of God. And no fresh revelations at all. So when the truth endureth, it is the truth that is in Jesus. The Lord who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that truth endureth. The definition of truth, it is reality as defined by God. We might look over the sea and we see two ships coming towards each other. We think they're going to hit. They look like they're going to hit. They do hit. Well, we think so. But we look a bit longer and we see them past each other and they're both going on their ways. They haven't hit. But if we were to have our vantage point looking from up in space or above them, we would see that they're miles apart. And so it's from our viewpoint as to the reality. Men look from their viewpoint, their fallen viewpoint, their skewed viewpoint, and think that they know the truth. But when we have the word of God, it's from God's viewpoint. And he has declared what he sees and what is the reality. And that truth, that endures to all generations. It is the same. It doesn't change with man. And man says, oh, we see it different now. 
We're greater enlightenment. And we, we can see it now because of the great advances of science. And we can look at it from this aspect. Or now we can go into space and we can look at it from that. No, the truth of God is in God itself and revealed to us. And so the truth itself, that which is set before us, the truths of ourselves created, sin, the fall, the way of escape from the wrath to come, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, his substitutionary offering, all of those truths, they endure. They are the same precious truths from one generation to another. Abel was saved in the same way as the last one will be saved, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by trusting in what he has done on Calvary's tree and by trusting in his righteousness and not their own. There's not a different way of salvation for the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. It is the same truth. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Abel, by faith, offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And he, like Abraham, saw Christ's day and rested in the Lord. And so in spite of all attacks, in spite of all things that come against it, his truth, God's truth, the truth of a triune God, endureth to all generations. And in one sense it's a real promise, it's a beautiful promise that it will be so. Whatever happens in this world, whatever is done, the Lord will ensure that the truth is there. There'll be times like in Josiah's day that the word of God was hidden in the ruins of the temple and Josiah was found and then they repented, they realised they had sinned against God. There'll be times like in the great darkness of, under the Roman Catholic Church but then the Reformation comes and the beautiful truths of the gospel are then proclaimed and set forth again. There'll be those valleys, those dips, but that truth endureth. It keeps going because there is a people to save and because it is the truth. His truth, not just the truth, His truth, Jehovah's truth. So these are three reasons and maybe think of them as we gather in the house of the Lord. We gather for praise and we gather to bless his name and with thanksgiving. And we gather because of the Lord and that he is good. And we gather because of his mercy that it is everlasting. And we gather because of his truth that endureth to all generations. We have the privilege of hearing that truth and knowing that truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. May the Lord help us then to bless and to praise his name. Amen.